Do you ever get frustrated when the people around you don't get it right? When they do it the wrong way, you know what I mean by that? I mean, you know the right way. And they just can't see it, and they just don't do it the right way, your way, because you know the right way. And what happens when they don't do it the right way? There's anger, and there's hurt, and there's conflict, and there's pain. And there's all kinds of emotions that come from someone not doing it the right way. And I mean, if they did it the right way, it would bless so many people, especially you. If they only did it the right way. And it's interesting because in many ways, that's the way we think. Because we know the right way. And, and ultimate, ultimately, really what it amounts to is we want to be in control and we want to call the shots because it would work out best for us. And the reality is that's not just true of the things that happen around you and the things that are immediately happening in your family, for example, or in your community or in a committee that you're working with. It's even true when it comes to God. Because if God really knew, if he really knew, he would have done this or he wouldn't have done that. He wouldn't have allowed this. Because, I mean, after all, it should have happened this way if God really knew. I mean, even though we don't always say that. It's really what we think or subconsciously what's going on. And some people go as far as to say, you know, well, I'm not going to believe in God if or because of he didn't do it this way. And I'm not just talking people who kind of believe or don't really believe in God who think that way. I'm even talking about his children. Because we as children do that to our earthly parents. When we get to the wise age of two. And we say, no. What are we saying? Already at the age of two, I know better. I know the right way. I've got this. Because I know what's best for me. At two. Let alone when we get to teenage years. So even subconsciously, if not overtly, we as his children sometimes think, God, I just don't understand why you didn't do it this way or you didn't make this happen. I mean... If I'm really your child, if you really love me, if you really want what's best for me, why didn't this happen? Why didn't this go? Why didn't it go this way? It just doesn't make sense if you really, really love me.
That's what Job is saying. See, if you don't know the book of Job, up to this point in the story, the reading that you have for today, here's the scene. Job is probably the most faithful man on the face of the earth, if not one of them. And he's got multiple children, and he's got tremendous wealth, and he apparently is quite healthy, and then all of a sudden his world falls apart. He loses his children, he loses his livelihood, and he loses his health. And then his friends, who are trying to be his comforters, come up to him and say, well, Job, obviously you sinned. You did something really, really wrong. Because these kind of things, these calamities, don't come like this unless you've done something really, really wrong. And Job says, that's not it. I've been really, really good, and I just don't understand why all this has happened to me. And oh, by the way, God, I want to talk to you. I want my dame court. I want you to explain to me why all this stuff happened to me, because I've been really, really good, and this shouldn't have happened. And I want these guys to know that this shouldn't have happened, because I've been really, really good. And he wants to hold God accountable. That's what I'm talking about. And when we get to this point, see, this is the situation. God answers him. By his spirit, out of a whirlwind, God answers him and says, before I answer you the question you have, let me just ask you a couple of questions. And what he says basically is, how much do you think you really understand? Where were you when I laid the foundation of the universe? See, now we think we know so much more today. Because we're so sophisticated and we're so educated. We know so much more about the universe Let me give you a for instance. I remember years and years ago when I was in, let's say, middle school, plus or minus, and we studied the atom. And some of you are around my age, plus or minus. Do you remember when you studied the atom? Protons, neutrons, and electrons, right? It was really basic. And they had the atom figured out. And the electrons were in valence rings around the protons and neutrons in the nucleus. Am I going too fast? Okay, and the electrons, they could even tell you what valence rings they were in because they had all the elements figured out. You know, the, the, the table? So everything was figured And this was so basic. And, and I love chemistry and physics, by the way. I was this budding scientist, so I loved all this stuff. And then years later, they said, well, wait a second. 
You know, first of all, it's not just that simple. The first thing is we're not exactly sure where the electrons are when they're going around the, the protons and neutrons in the nucleus. Did you know that? It's called quantum mechanics. And the reason I know so much about this is my brother has his Ph.D. in quantum mechanics. And he wrote his thesis on the probability of electrons in valence rings. So I know a little bit about this stuff. And then they come up with this stuff that there's even smaller stuff like quirks. And we're not even talking about those strange thing about people. They're like smaller particles. Okay, and then you start talking about all these nuances in atoms, so it's no longer just the protons, the neutrons, and the electrons. There's all these other things with atoms. And it's like, you haven't a clue like you thought you did. We don't know as much as we thought we knew. And the more they discover about space, the more we don't know. And the more that they go down into the depths of the sea, we don't know as much as we thought we knew. And the more we try to figure out volcanoes and tornadoes and hurricanes, we don't know squat. And how much do they get the weather right? It's going to rain today. 80% chance. Right. How much do we really know? Not much. So God says to Job, let me just ask you a few questions about my creation, just to see where you are with this stuff. Just to put it in perspective. See, because the reality is, Job didn't know a whole lot especially before the scientific age. And the apostles, the expert fishermen, go out on this small little peeny sea. And a storm comes up and they're not able to handle it. It puts it in perspective. At times we say, we want to hold God accountable. And at times we say, Lord, we really don't know we need your help. But we want God to do it our way. In our time, the way we want. And that's not the way it works. So I want to back up a little bit given these two passages. And the first thing I want to talk about is the question that's there. Out in the open, it's kind of more subtle with Job and the apostles. But the question is, where is God? See, with Job, it's a little more subtle because it's like, why is God being silent right now? Because it's like, I walked with him for years and years and years, and I was really, really good. And he blessed me, and everything was going hunky-dory. Then all of a sudden, things fall apart, and he seems to be silent. Where is he? What's going on? Why can't I get the answers that I want? Why can't I find out that my world has fallen apart? Where is he? And 
And then let's turn to the apostles for a second. It's kind of a a push-pull with the apostles. With the apostles, they're panicked. They say, where's Jesus? He's asleep. And on the one hand, they don't seem to have a whole lot of faith. On the other hand, they're seeking him out to do something. Which is it? Where is he? It's like the people that say, I don't believe in God because if there was a God, he would. See, what they're saying is, I was hurt or disappointed. Or God didn't do what I wanted. They're already stating that there must be a God up there. Because if they didn't believe in God, they would just ignore the whole situation. But obviously in the back of their mind, they're saying, there's a God and I just don't understand him. He didn't do what I wanted. He's not listening to me. See, the question is, where is God? He's there. It actually brings us to the second question. Does he care? Does he care? If he's there, does he care? I mean, if he's all powerful and he's all good... Why wouldn't he do this to protect me? That's the question that's coming out right now in many people's minds this week because of the little girl that was killed on 278. Does he care? Why would something happen to someone innocent, someone young? Does he care? We forget that we live in a fallen world. We forget that people have free will. We forget that we make mistakes and other people make mistakes. We forget that we sin and other people sin. God cares, but he doesn't want us to be puppets and we don't want to be puppets. God cares so much that he sent his son to come and suffer and die. Because he cares. The true innocent one to die in our place for our sin. Because he cares. We question if he cares. All we need to do is look at the cross. See, subconsciously we've got this thing going. That if God really cared, I should always be happy. It doesn't work that way. Especially if I'm good. I mean, after all, not only am I good, I'm better than most of the people around me. Or at least I'm as good as everybody around me. I mean, just look at everybody. They're pitiful. So everything should go well for me. Why is it not going well for me? God cared. God loves us. He created us because He loves us. He sent His Son to die for us because He loves us. And Romans 8.28 says, All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to 
His purpose, not yours. Not yours. When we know His love and the depth of His love, it's His purpose that we seek. That's the challenge. That's the call. It's not always our way in our time. You know, it's the big picture. And we sometimes lose sight of the big picture because we have this picture, just this little picture of our little world that we want to work for us. It's like you have one piece of the puzzle in a billion-piece puzzle, and you say, God, it should work like this. It doesn't. Because the puzzle's this big. God is trying to shape and mold us into His image, and He's trying to also shape and mold trillions of other people into His image, and He's trying to reach people who don't know Him. And He's doing all of this big picture, and we have this much of the picture. And we forget that. Does He love us without question? Without question. And that's why when you go on to read in the rest of Romans 8, we read verses like, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine, nakedness, peril or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And John 3.16, for God so loved the world, not just you, the world, that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish. See, he has your eternal picture in mind. Along with trillions of other people. Because he's about salvation. And when tragedy strikes... He not only wants you to throw yourself on him, he wants to use you in the lives of others. As he shapes and molds you and tries to reach others through you. And that's why in Isaiah it says, My ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. For my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We don't always have the big picture, the full picture. And that's why when we get into this debate with God or want to hold him accountable or challenge him, they did back then too, the worldly-minded, the earthly-minded. Paul writes to the Corinthians, for this message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, those who don't believe, those who don't want to believe. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Where is the one who is wise, the scribe, the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish? The wisdom of the world, for since in the wisdom of the world, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. God decided through the foolishness 
of the proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. It's Christ crucified, the one who went to the cross to suffer, to show the depth of love. It's not what we expect. It's not what we expect. What happened to Job? Job took a step back. And he said, I just need to trust you. And he was blessed. And the apostles, the apostles who thought Jesus was unaware because he was sleeping, realized that he was in control. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He had them. He brought peace to the situation. And then what do they say? Who is this? They were following by faith and yet at the same time they're saying, Who is this? They can do this kind of stuff. And they chose to follow him. Because they kept seeing his grace, his love. Not that the life was easy, but they kept seeing his grace and his love over and over again. There's a cost. And we don't always get our way. And they saw that too. You know, it's interesting. I remember... Times in my life when I just didn't get it. I was trying to follow God's call on my life. And I always thought that it would always work, especially when I was doing this worldly wisdom thing and I was following God's call on my life. Case in point. When Meredith and I first got married, people said, you want to buy a place as soon as you can. Because that's good stewardship. Don't throw your money away on rent. And you want to buy in a good location, and you want to buy in a good school district. So what do we do? For people who know Pittsburgh, we bought a condo in Swickley. We owned the place for seven years. You would think buying a condo in Swickley, a nice suburb of Pittsburgh with a great school district, and owning it for seven years, you would make money. But no. Because I'm old enough that in that era, the steel industry in Pittsburgh went, and we lost money. So then we moved to San Antonio for our next call-in ministry. And best school district in San Antonio, we buy a house. And what happened when we were in San Antonio? Oil and gas went, and the S&L crisis, and we owned the house for six years, and we lost money again. And I said, Lord, I don't get this. Everybody says buy a house because it's a great investment. And location is everything, and I did it twice. And I'll fall on your call, and I lost money both times. I don't get it. 
And then I realized, you know, probably the steel industry going down and the oil and gas crisis and the SNL crisis was probably bigger than me. That dawned on me. I'm pretty bright. See how we can get so focused on ourselves. Even when we're following the Lord and doing it right. We can lose sight on the fact that there's so much more going on. And we don't always understand. And what I realized in the long run, God has always had us. Meredith and I always marvel at how God has taken care of us and provided for us. I really do. And looking back over it, it is such an opportunity to praise the Lord. It's been such an opportunity to witness to our children and other people. And we don't always know what God is doing at the time. But we know He has us. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. That doesn't mean that life always deals you easy things. And that you're not going to deal with tragedy and suffer. Look at the apostles. But you can trust in his love. Because he's there. Because he cares. Because Jesus went to the cross. But there is the power of the resurrection. And God has you for all eternity. If you just trust him. Please bow with me in prayer. Jesus said, For lo, I am with you always, and I will never leave you or forsake you. And Paul wrote to the Philippians in chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always again, I say rejoice. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And my God will fully satisfy every need of yours according to his riches. Lord God, sometimes we doubt and question. We even question whether you're there or whether you care. Especially when we struggle, when you don't do it our way, when tragedy hits our lives or those close to us. And yet, Lord, if we would just take a moment and look at the cross, that you are a God who is not aloof 
and removed from suffering, but came down to show us how to live. To show us that you are in the midst of suffering and the depth of your love. And that by the power of your resurrection, you have defeated the power of sin and struggle. And that you rose again to show us the way to eternal life. And that you have us. Lord God, I pray this day that we would rest in that confidence. That we will not always get it right, but you do. And that we can trust you. That you have us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.